Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Health Disparities Podcast. We are recording on May 18th, 2020, and we hope you are all doing well during these extraordinary times. The Health Disparities Podcast explores health equity, diversity, and inclusion through conversations with people who are working to eliminate disparities. And it's my great pleasure to welcome someone who has been doing these things with great passion over many, many years, Dr. Panessa Seal. Dr. Seal is the CEO and founder of The Bomb in Gilead, Inc., a faith-based organization that provides support to people and their families with chronic diseases such as diabetes, as well as working for the prevention of HIV and AIDS. She is a public health advocate and spent many years working as a researcher in the field of immunology. The overall mission of the Bomb and Gilead is to prevent diseases and improve the health status of people of African descent by supporting faith institutions in areas of program design, implementation, and evaluation to strengthen their capacity to programmatically eliminate health disparities. Welcome, Dr. Panessa Seal. Well, hello, hello, hello. It is indeed my pleasure to be with you on this podcast today. So Dr. Seal, to jump right in, why don't you give us just a a brief synopsis or summary of the mission and the history of the Bomb and Gilead? Well, you know, as you know, uh, you've been around the Bomb and Gilead for a long time, Reverend Seal. The Bomb and Gilead is celebrating 31 years of mobilizing and building the capacity of the African-American faith community uh, and the African and the African um, faith community across the across the pond to be com- a community hub for uh, health education promotion, disease prevention, and screening. Uh, we want to uh, make sure that our faith communities have the resources, have the capacity to really address the enormous health disparities that we have in our community. What then are the health disparities that rise to the top? What one or two most concern you over these past years? <laughs> well, the immediate, the immediate concern is COVID-19. Uh, that's the immediate uh, um, concern. And of course, as we see the, the enormous uh, impact uh, of this pandemic uh, on the African-American community and uh, being um, disproportionately affected by the death rate, we know that um, you know we're getting a clear uh, lens, a clear view of just the, the impact of so many chronic, the chronic diseases that we have in our community. So what rises to the, to the top? Um, Alzheimer's is a major uh, threat in our community. The Bomb and Gilead addresses Alzheimer's through our National Brain Health Center for African-Americans. Uh, diabetes rises to the top. We are addressing uh, diabetes through our Southeast Diabetes Faith Initiative, where uh, it's over uh, every week, um, over a thousand people come into churches. Well, now they're virtual uh, to uh, deal with their pre-diabetes because we must begin to address pre-diabetes as a prevention for getting full-blown diabetes. 
What states are those in? You said the South. Uh, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi. And Mississippi. Uh, Of course, uh, cancer, um, cervical cancer, uh, ovarian cancer, um, just cancer in general. Prostate cancer uh, also rises uh, to the top and uh, obesity. And, you know, of course, you know, we can go on and on and on and on and on. Uh, but just to name a few that immediately come to, to mind, the bomb in Gilead, you know, over these uh, last, I would say, in the last 10 years have, since 2005, really, I think that's more than 10 years, we, we started out in the H, with HIV. And then in, two, in 2005, um, 2005, we began to address other health disparities, and that list of disparities just continues to grow because we are so impacted by so many health disparities. So just for a moment, just for a moment, maybe 30 seconds, let's say 60 seconds, to help us debunk the myth that HIV is under control. That's where you started. Many people have the misconception that it's over and done. It's not an issue anymore. What does the bomb in Gilead see? Well, what we see is that the silence, the silence that we spoke about um, 40 years ago is still the silence that we hear uh, today's silence. Um, The stigma that we spoke about 40 years ago it's still the stigma that we hear today, which causes the silence. Uh, we know that um, you know over 50% of African American gay men have the disease. We know that you know uh, just about 50% of Black women now, a little bit less, have uh, HIV um, AIDS. The, it's, the epidemic is devastating uh, our community. Uh, and now, you know, because we have good treatment, Lord knows we have good treatment, people are living longer. So, you know, now we talk about, you know, living with diabetes and HIV, you know, mm-hmm. uh, addressing cancer and HIV. You know, mm-hmm. someone who has compromised immune system for the last 30 years, you know, um, now has to face, you know, other chronic diseases like Alzheimer's, you know, Alzheimer's and, and, and HIV, Alzheimer's and COVID-19. And, you know, now we are, you know, constantly being told in this era, you know, how does, you know, how, how can you compare uh, COVID-19 with <laughs> HIV? So that's my 60 seconds. You know, I can go on and on with that one. So give me one crowning achievement of the bomb in Gilead. That one thing would be that when I started um, 31 years ago, walking around Harlem Hospital, uh, trying to get churches to uh, speak out and say something about HIV and AIDS, I think one of the one of our, one of our shining lights we can say is that we have many, 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 many uh, churches uh, around this country uh, who not only speaking up and standing up for people living with HIV but also have health ministries. You know, the bomb in Gilead over these years have been at the forefront of really uh, helping churches um, uh, and moving, moving, uh, creating a movement, a movement that says that every uh, congregation addressing African-Americans must have a health ministry. That our health today, health disparities today, it is just as serious for Black people 
as it was for us to learn to read and write, you know, at the turn of uh, the century when when Booker T. Washington and George Washington Carver and and all of them were were trying to figure out how we were going to get black folks to read and write. And guess what? It was our churches. Our churches were schoolhouses uh, where, you know, not only did we preach and 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 learn the Bible and and learn the 66 books of the Bible and 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 all of that that came out of church on Sunday. The church was also a schoolhouse because our goal was we had to get black folks uh, the the skills of reading and writing. And today, when we look at our health, when we look at the health disparities and all the suffering that goes on around our health, including mental health, I believe that every church of addressing African-Americans must have a health ministry. And I'm happy to lift it up to say, we have many, many, many thousands of churches today who have effective health ministries. And we are working with these congregations and we are in always inviting others those who do not have health ministries that come and get resources, come and tap into the resources of the bomb in Gilead to start your health ministry. If you're just doing a health fair, let's do a better health fair because mm-hmm. our community needs it. Amen. Amen. I love it. I love it. I love it. I, I, two questions. Do you see those health ministries being as effective in the space of mobility. Many of our churches have seniors who live sedentary lifestyles. We have many people who have joint and pain issues and they just don't move enough. Do you see those uh, health ministries and this network that you've helped develop, that you've birthed in many uh, church organizations being impactful in the area of mobility as well? Absolutely, because most health uh, ministries, they start up with what, fitness. You know, they start out with, um, you know, some kind of fitness class. Um, and, and that's so important. And I, and I really love the creative churches, especially down in the South where we are, we are um, uh, encouraging them, you know, that you can just get out and walk around the church. You know, some of our rural churches, as you know, you know, they have so much land. Just come to the church and let's walk around the church. Let's walk around the old cemetery. You know, we can get some exercise just walking around the church and walking around the cemetery. Like my grandmother and I down in Lincolnville, South Carolina, every week we used to, we we didn't call it cemetery. Then, of course, we called it the graveyard. We used to walk Mm -hmm. to the graveyard and we used to say hello to everybody in the graveyard, but we did Mm -hmm. not know we were getting (laughs) exercise. So I think mobility is very important, you know, to our health ministries and to the movement of our churches and uh, and those uh, churches who have fitness programs and who are doing, um, you know, just walking programs. We really, you know, we really encourage them to to do that. And for those who are not yet doing it, we encourage to get the congregation moving. Get them. Amen. Amen. Movement is life. I really appreciate that thought. Let's talk about your book, Stand Up to Stigma. How does how does stigma undermine health? And what are some of the stigmas more pronounced in the African American community, especially in the face of COVID nineteen? COVID-19 has highlighted the stigmas, but you've been seeing this for 31 years. Let's talk about that in the spirit of your book. Well, you know, 
statement is so complex as well as convoluted mm-hmm. because in 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 the African American community, especially in the faith community, Jesus is gonna fix everything. <laughs> Jesus is gonna fix everything, and mm-hmm. and he is. However, um, Jesus is going to uh, also going to help the doctor when you go to the doctor. Uh, right. He's going to, you know, uh, on, anoint the medicine when you take the medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, for some reason, you know, from generations to generations, one of the stigmas that one of the greatest stigmas that we deal with is that if I if 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 I um, I got to test my faith. I have to test my faith. Therefore, I'm not going to take my medicine. I have to test test my faith. Therefore, I'm not going to go uh, to the doctor um, because uh, you know I got to I got to prove that Jesus is going to uh, going to heal me. Uh, and and I think that's one of the convoluted parts of uh, a stigma. And I don't want you to see me, you know, really struggling in my. Uh, d- disease awareness state. I don't want you to see me struggling with pain because, you know, struggling with pain means my faith is not strong enough. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and mm-hmm. I have I have had one too many, um, five too many friends who have actually uh, left the planet intelligent, um, uh, um, just highly intelligent um human beings who have left the planet because they did not want to take their medicine because they had to prove God was going to heal them without the medicine. Um, mm-hmm. And we see that every day. We see this in, in today with COVID-19. You know, there are just too many folks who are like, I don't have to wear a mask. You know, I don't have to do any of this because of the blood of Jesus. I have too many cra- too many crazy friends and they are crazy. Because of the blood of Jesus, I don't have to wear a mask. Because of the blood of Jesus, you know, I can go and do whatever I want to do. Uh, and I think that this is, uh, I think it's a, a stigma. Uh, and I think it's insane. Um, and we also what, see, mm-hmm, go ahead. I was just going to say, what would you see as more pronounced in terms of stigma? I know it's in the church, but when it comes to health care, when it comes to the many pastors and congregations you've worked with, what do you see as the most pronounced stigma in the African-American community? The stigma of silence. I just don't, I, I want to live in silence. I don't That's want fair. you to know that I have this disease. I don't want, That's because fair. if you knew I had it, um, mm-hmm. you know, I can think about people who died when I was a little kid in Lincolnville. You know, it was the C word back then. You know what right. I mean? I didn't I didn't want you to know I had the C word because if you knew I had cancer, you would think that, you know, the God had God had sent the wrath of the wrath of God was on me and cancer was the wrath of God. You know, we saw mm-hmm. it with HIV. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That HIV was the wrath of God. So, you know, mothers and fathers can't tell you they're not they're not going to tell you about the pain of their children having this disease. They're not going to tell you when they have it because it's the wrath of God. And clearly God is punishing me. Uh, and I think that that is the biggest stigma and the biggest um, convolutedness that we face in. We can't continue to face in our community that we always bring something back to the silence. 
And the silence is rooted in our fundamental belief that God is punishing us for something with this disease. You know, uh, God is punishing us for, with COVID-19. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, some kind of main, too many of us serve a God who's always punishing us for something. That's not the God I serve, but hey, what can I say? Got it. And, and you know what's interesting, and it leads right to my next question. What you're saying is if we don't say it, then it doesn't exist. And I remember your start of getting pastors to say HIV and AIDS from the pulpit because they felt that they kept silent, they wouldn't lose their membership. But if they said it, they were going to lose people. But the reality is they were losing people anyway because people were dying in their congregations, living alone lives, living with HIV and AIDS because nobody had the nerve to say that HIV is real. So to that end, how do we depower stigma? Well, exactly what you just said. What we learned with HIV, those pastors learned that, you know, when we started out with the Harlem Week of Prayer for the Healing of AIDS and the National Week of Prayer for the Healing of AIDS, and when pastors stood up and said, we are going to pray and educate for the healing of AIDS, what happened? Oh, my God. They, the pastor was so, um, so taken that their congregations embraced him, embraced him or her, that the, mm-hmm. the congregation was hungry, was hungry for a pastor who, who sought compassion toward them, who they want, you want to tell your pastor what's going on with you. You want to tell your pastor how you're suffering. And once the mm-hmm. pastor opened up and said, listen, we're going to pray for HIV. Listen, we're going to have an AIDS ministry. Listen, for those of you who have HIV, God loves you. And my this congregation loves you. We saw a complete turnaround and the mm-hmm. doors of the open came open. Many people came in and that those churches in, in the 1980s are now thriving, thriving churches uh, today because they're known as compassionate churches, compassionate congregations, and they have ministries that provide services to whomever, to the whosoever will come. There's place at the altar for everybody. And those are the churches that are thriving today. Amen. And I, I, I really believe that because even in the world of musculoskeletal health, in this COVID-19 era, in the world of heart disease, in the world of cancer, it is by saying it and informing people that we debunk the stigma because I can live with something that may be a part of me, but it doesn't make up the sum total of who I am. And and I'm really grateful for the work that you've done to establish that in faith communities and getting faith leaders, not just in the, 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 the black church, but in mosques and in synagogues across the land to say, this is important. In the context of, of coronavirus and this pandemic. I I know that CNN interviewed you around the disproportionate impact on underserved communities. I'd like for you to speak for a minute on the differences between that rural and that urban impact and and how the underserved communities in both both places. Yes, they are underserved. Um, areas, you know, the, uh, we in America, as in the world, we live in two Americas and the and two worldview. 
um, the rich, the haves and the have nots, you know. And so in urban communities, um, you have the, the haves and across the track, you have the have nots. Um, sometimes, you know, urban communities are mistaken of uh, the underserved communities is, is uh, mistaken because they we feel that they have we have at they have access um, because if you live in Baltimore, regardless of what side of the track you live on, you have John Hopkins, you know, mm-hmm. or you have uh, all you know major um, major um, um, medical facilities in urban communities. As if you live in New York or if you live here in Richmond, Virginia. You know, you think that you because you're there, you have access, but that's not necessarily um, uh, the case. Racism, uh, as we know, um, you know, just but when I go into um, emergency room, just because of the color of my skin, I may not be seen uh, as mm-hmm. as as quickly uh, as as someone else just because of the color of my uh, of my of my skin, um, and we know that information doesn't flow. Um, as 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 quickly through the have the have community versus the underserved uh, community, which is why our churches are are so important to be that community hub. In the rural community, you know, um, it's not there. You know that you may have to uh, drive or get a get a ride. You know, fifty for, or seventy five miles to get to the to the nearest um, uh, medical uh, facility. You know, we I began to really look at the rural community when we did when we did our work in six African countries around HIV uh, in the 90s. And um, and because we had to go over there and create infrastructure on how we were going to provide services, how we were going to provide home based care or HIV testing in, you know, rural remote communities uh, where the only thing there was, you know, a, a church a mosque and a bottle of Coke. And I said, well, how in the world does Coca-Cola get a bottle of Coke from Atlanta to the most remote areas in the world? Uh, and that, that was one of my questions. I wanted to be like uh, Coke to get uh, health information to any and every part of the uh, world because I wanted to model it after Coca-Cola. Um, right. But seeing that really uh, helped me to understand what we needed to do when we came back home to the U.S., you know, um, because we don't like to think about it. But, you know, rural America looks to me just like rural Africa, having spent many, 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 many days and months and nights uh, in rural Africa. You know, um, there are some really rural remote communities right here and they don't have access. You know, uh, they don't get, you know, the first the, uh, the 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 finest treatment. Um, they don't they don't have you know they have to figure out how to get a ride <laughs> you know how to get a ride mm-hmm. to see the doctor um, and you know and even in this 2020 you know um, the rural community is suffering and which is why I go back to we have to find new ways we have to find new strategies of reaching uh, people who are not reached in America, you know, um, mm-hmm. there are too many people still here in America uh, who don't have clean water. 
You know, we say clean water, no clean water in Africa. We say, oh, I'm sorry. But what about so many uh, people uh, of all ethnic groups right here in the United States who do not have clean, uh, clean water and who do not have uh, housing? Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, um, there is a major, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a difference and yet it's the same that we have to continue to find ways to, to, to reach the underserved birth, both in the rural and in the urban community. What do you see as the importance of faith communities or faith institutions in driving this change, driving awareness, driving connectedness in helping people access care? Well, we know that in the African-American community, faith, faith leaders are the most influential uh, when faith leaders, whether, whether they are, you know, uh, Christians, mosque, um, uh, temple worshipers, Yoruba, whoever, um, they are the influences in our community. We also know that um, the African-American church, it, has, it is the most sustained institution in America. You know, we're not talking about institutions who are here and gone. We're talking about institutions who were started in the 1700s and who are uh, thriving. So it is, it is, and we understand the culture, the culture of African-American people uh, and their relationship uh, to their uh, faith community. Um, Today, we may not have, you know, um, uh, a lot of, you know, Although the Pew, Pew uh, Research Center says that African-American uh, young people, we are still going to church more than other ethnic groups. We can mm-hmm. truly say that they don't go to church as maybe you and I did. Um, mm-hmm. But the influence of the church is still there. You know, just because I may not go to church does not mean that I do not, I'm not impacted by the, by the, the voice of the church. You know, I it is still where social norms in our communities are set and where social norms are met in our community. So um, the importance of faith community in addressing health disparities, from my point of view, it is the number one place uh, that we must continue to partner with. We must continue to partner with faith communities and give them the skills and the capacity to, to provide sustainable sustainable resources and support for the long haul of addressing health disparities among uh, African-Americans. Sustainable is a remarkable word in that you have lived that. You're not just talking it because my next question has to do with your Sunday morning um, uh, health corner where I've seen you do at least two um, um, bulletin inserts on uh, COVID-19. And I've seen you do it around um, asthma and COVID-19, as well as coping with stress during coronavirus. So the question is, in the face of COVID-19 and the disparities uh, that we see, what needs to change? Do we need more people doing what you do? Do we need to look at this COVID-19 response differently? I I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I want to hear what you see as a needed change when I look at something so remarkable as getting virtual messages out to the faith communities for Sunday morning worship around COVID-19? Well, well thank you. You know, uh, and I hope that every listener will go and 
um, and download our Sunday morning health corners. This is something we send out um, to over 40,000 congregations, reaching 2.5 million African-Americans every week. It's something that is downloadable for everybody to get one when they come into the church. And now that we are not coming into the church, it has even uh, it even has a lot of more additional legs because now congregations are sending it out to each of their members, not just those who come inside um, uh, inside the church. I think that to get to your question, I think that. As we know, the church, the African-American church is being devastated by COVID-19. Um, we know just, you know, we just look at one denomination, the Church of God in Christ, where they've, left, they've lost over 12 bishops, over 30 top leadership in that one denomination. We've lost so many pastors and first ladies and deacons. And I mean, the church has been just so devastated by COVID-19. Yeah. What we need is we need that suffering in our congregations to turn into empowerment. We need mm. leaders who will say, this is why we are suffering today. We did not, maybe we went to a funeral when we should have. Maybe we had church when we should have. Or maybe we don't even need, we don't even need to talk about how we got it. But the fact is that we need our faith leaders to stand up and say, listen, we have got to adhere to social distancing we are going to stay at stay in place. We're going to continue with our live worship service. I know you want to come to church, but we're going to continue to sing Amazing Grace from home. And we're going to continue to pay our tithes and offering from home. We need the suffering that we are feeling throughout our congregations today to turn into empowerment and leadership so that we will not continue to have to die just because we didn't have leadership and no one wanted to say, stay home. Amen. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I tell my church members, we're going to do this virtually for as long as we have to so that everyone is safe first. There's nothing better than being educated because education, in the words of Carter G. Woodson, is power. So okay. let's talk about Dr. P on the pod. We know you have a, a remarkably part. A popular uh, podcast every week. What kind of topics have you explored and what has been the reaction from the African-American community? You know, uh, if it's Thursday, it's Dr. P on pod. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. It, it's just amazing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always amazed when I hear uh, people, especially people in remote communities down South, you know, they will, you know, if, if I happen to see them or they see someone who's connected to the bomb in Gilead, they always have a, a, a story to tell about. I heard about this because I was listening to Dr. P on the pod. And I'm talking mm -hmm. about folks who may be, who live in Yamasee, South Carolina, you know what I mean? Or mm -hmm. down there in Meridian, Mississippi or someplace, you know. Uh, I'm just really honored about the, the, the legs and the traction that the podcast has, and we address all kinds of topics. You know, we, we talk about, um, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about midwife and, um, you know, uh, black women and maternal health issues, how we are uh, dying in, in doing childbirth um, and the racism and politics around black women giving birth. Um, we talked about asthma last, last week and 
we're getting ready to uh, to address mental health and schizophrenia. We talk about sexual health. We talk about everything on Dr. P uh, on the pod um, because you know we are not black community. We are not a we are not a monolithic community. We love talking and we talk about everything. Everything. Amen. Well, thank you for that, and I want to. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your insights, Dr. Seal. I think what I've taken away from this discussion in particular is there's been an evolution of the bomb in Gilead from serving those living with HIV and AIDS and educating pastors and teaching them to have strength to say it from the pulpit so that people were not dying silently and, and you've morphed that into talking about all sorts of health issues from brain health to asthma to, to glaucoma, breast cancer, and so forth and so on. And even in this environment, talking about COVID-19 and the reality of remedying or creating a remedy to, to destigmatizing how we live in silence by saying something. We appreciate you. We appreciate your comments on the need for change and for pastors to stand up in this moment, not tomorrow, not yesterday, but in this moment and remind people to stay safe at home. Is there anything you would like to add as we close? Well, thank you again for having me uh, on this podcast. I really enjoyed uh, talking to you. I uh, want to um, thank you for all the, the work. Movement is life. Um, and just thank you for all the work that, that you are doing and know that the Bomb and Gilead uh, continues to be a partner um, in this with you. Um, and uh, we look forward to continuing to work with you uh, and would love to have you on Dr. P on the pod uh, sometime. And um, guess what? There's always and will forever be a bomb in Gilead. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Seal. We wish you continued success and impact with your many initiatives and hope to see you at the upcoming Movement is Life Caucus at some point in the near future. Uh, The Movement is Life Caucus is a place of gathering, much like uh, many of the engagements that you have, because as you say, there is a bomb in Gilead. Thank you and our listeners, wherever you are, see the podcast page for our website for resources mentioned in the podcast. Be well, stay safe, and join us again soon at the Health Disparities Podcast.